Welcome into the 11 Dubcast, presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. I am Bo Bishop. On the other end is Johnny Ginter. We do this each and every week, and we've got some stuff this week. We got, it's Today, this is Hall of Fame week, and we've got Urban Meyer talking smack in front of Jim Harbaugh, and we'll be joined by Nick Baumgartner a little bit later, who was there, right? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty good. He was there, so he can... Um, I tend to think that this is something that was made more of in on the internet than reality, but we'll get Nick's take on that when he joins us um, a little bit later in the program. Let's start... Uh, with one that hits close to home to me and that I do a radio show with him every day in Columbus. James Laurinaitis uh, leads a class of Ohio State Hall of Famers. He will be inducted into the Ohio State Athletics Hall of Fame. Um, I will be very candid with you that I don't know any of the other people who are, and I may botch these names. So I apologize in advance (laughs) to Dick Brueggemann, uh, Cassie Dickerson, Greg Down, Linda Hausner, Ryan Hupp, Brian Koneko, uh, Mike Pasillo, Jerry Welsh, and Brandon Wynn. But with all due respect to all of them, who I'm sure did tremendous things, obviously, to receive such an incredible honor, this is going to be the James Laurinaitis class. And um, it hit home. It hits home for me, obviously, because I do the show with him, but also because he was his teams were the ones I covered when I first got to Columbus. And what struck me about James as a player was, uh, number one, that the stage was never too big or bright that whenever the the game was monstrous, he was great. And uh, he's a three-time first-team All-American. He's a two-time captain. He's He also turned down a lot of money to play his senior year. Now, it helped that he came from a, a family that allowed him to do that. His dad, obviously a famous wrestler, and it, he will acknowledge this. And it allowed him to make that decision to stay for his fourth year at Ohio State. But I still think it was a courageous effort to do so. He would have been... Um, by most people's estimation, a top five or six pick in the NFL draft after he left, had he left after his junior year, he came back, played his senior year and he fell to the second round, had a great career with the Rams and eventually the saints and is now back doing radio with me. But the, um, this is cool and he's, he's great. And there's not much I can say. (laughs) There's not a single negative thing I can say about him. Um, one thing that I would think that's incredibly impressive to me is aside from his ability on the football field, which is self-explanatory is how seriously he he takes this radio gig he's doing with me. I mean, he's fully prepared and invested and you don't get that a lot of time with former athletes and, and you're getting, I'm getting it with him on a daily basis. So I'm thrilled that he's going in. It's deserving. I was actually teasing him on the show today about, um, and we'll get to the college football hall of fame in a second, but, um, that that's coming to like, this will be the first of quite a few of these, I would think for him. Um, but I'm just thrilled for him. Well-deserved. He was, frankly, he was great when he was at Ohio state. He, you know, so I got to see him play as a student and I also got to see AJ Hawk and a bunch of other really great linebackers at Ohio state. And I will say that as far as like, especially the linebacking group goes, but also defensive players in general, I think I had more fun watching him play than almost any other player. Mm-hmm. Uh, just cause I knew how consistent he was. Yeah. Like he was all over the field doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And I just, that's the kind of thing that you love to see out of legendary, really legendary Ohio state linebackers like that. When you think of guys like Spielman and Hawk and all these other guys mm-hmm. and Cozano and all those, they're doing all kinds of stuff. It's, it's not just this guy was great against the run or whatever. I mean, they're everywhere. And James Laurinaitis, I mean, you know, some people said he was overhyped. I think a lot of people tried to, like, say, well, he's not that great in comparison. He was a great linebacker. Um, I think no, he's he great. all the accolades that he gets. Yeah, and I had a blast watching him. Well, you're right. You hit on something that's very accurate because it wasn't just a run stopper. It wasn't just, you know, that he was he was good. He was a he was a four. To, he was a three down linebacker. Yeah. Um, he patrolled the middle sideline to sideline. I mean, he had so many big interceptions. 
in games. I mean, he would drift into coverage. He had great hands, great ball awareness, and it's not a mirage. He was great in the NFL until injuries, you know, happened to him. But he was a great player in the NFL he, as well for for many many years. So, isn't he the uh, all time leader in tackles for the St. Louis Rams? I believe he is. Yeah. No, he's great, and so I'm thrilled for him. That'll be at the Rutgers game. Um, so I can't, I'll, I can't wait to go to that game and support him as, as he goes into the, uh, into the Ohio state hall of fame also announced this week where the candidates for the college football hall of fame, I have a hard time with the college football hall of fame. So, um, we were doing the show today when this news came out and the, the three Ohio state candidates are Keith Byers, Jim Otis and Chris Ward. But what, what's interesting to me is how fewer guys um, Ohio State has than uh, Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame has significantly more. What's also strange is Minnesota has the same amount of guys as Alabama, and <laughs> Alabama has fewer guys in, than Army in the College Football Hall of Fame. Now, I understand some of that is generational. Minnesota was great in the 50s. Army was good for the first half half century uh, of the 20th century. But the idea that they – I don't understand this process because I saw that, like, Eric Dickerson wasn't in – yeah, college football. I mean, how the hell is that possible that he's been on the ballot and he's not in like Rashawn Salam's not in Carson Palmer's not in. I mean, these guys are guys who who won the Heisman, you know, like I don't really understand what the criteria for the College Football Hall of Fame is. I acknowledge that it started later. Right. Like this hasn't been around for 50 years. So they got to catch sure. up a little bit. But I don't understand how they're catching up. Like, how is Keith Byers not in? But then as I was starting to complain about Keith Byers, I'm thinking, well, hell, Rashawn Salam's not in and he won the Heisman. Yeah. You know, so this is I don't understand the College Football Hall of Fame at all. I have no I have no understanding of it. There are so many. I mean, I, I can go on a huge long rant about the Baseball Hall of Fame, but I just think it's weird that the way that this is set up in any Hall of Fame is that you've got certain gatekeepers who want to keep the hall or whatever kind of thing that they're they're guarding looking a certain way. And they they have these these unspoken rules that they all kind of ad- adhere to and they all abide by. And it's just so weird because if you're just watching it, if you're a fan of the sport that you're paying attention to, there are some people who obviously should be in the Hall of Fame. There isn't any debate about it. Like Keith Byers is in the College Football Hall of Fame. That's not something that I think anybody would have a serious debate about. He's clearly one of the greatest college football players of all time. But again, when it gets down to the minutia of how these people decide all this stuff, well, they can find little nitpicks and things say, well, he didn't do X, Y, and Z. And it's just, it to me, like... I don't get it. I, I don't get know it what either. they're and doing. You like, should be able to just look I, at it and go. I don't know that this person is. It's bad. Do you think it's? Do you think it's like baseball though, where there are like you know, like arbitrarily deciding who did steroids and who didn't? You know, like Begwell apparently for some people didn't do it, but yet you know, Clemens, Bonds, Sosa, Palmero, all of them definitely did, but Begwell for sure didn't. Piazza for sure didn't. So they get in. I mean, I don't. It's that's so. It's just random. Right, I, how they decide who's in oh, baseball. It's super arbitrary. Uh, but this, I, I just think they. I don't I know if that's what this thing. is. Right. This, I don't, I don't know if that's what this is. I, I think that they, the way that I can read this, is because for all the gripes we have about Keith Byers, or I'm sure there's a litany of guys who aren't in. I mean, if you've won the Heisman, shouldn't that be the first thing, right? <laughs> like Heismaner, yeah, you're in. Like, why would right. we even wait? How would Rashawn Salam be passed over? I don't understand I don't that. Know. He won the Heisman. That's the definition. He was the best player in college football. Yeah. You know, how would Carson Palmer be passed over? I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. I mean, we've got a ton of gripes, I'm sure. I mean, the fact that Jim Otis and Keith Byers aren't Hall of Famers yet is it's crazy. 
But my guess is they're trying to catch up. I just don't understand the process with which they're doing it. So I oh great. So I, I checked out the the National Football Foundation that you know governs all this stuff, and they said that a player must so to get into the College Football Hall of Fame, player must have been recognized as a first team All American by an NCAA recognized publication, and becomes eligible ten years okay. after his last college game, uh, following retirement from the pros. So. I guess that's enough wiggle room to, you know, deny entry to some okay. guys. I don't, it's, it's weird. 10 years seems like a, but, and, but, a but I'm talking about Heisman winners, right? Heisman exactly. winners would absolutely like, would think, be first team all America. Right. You would like think Troy that, should be in, right? Cause it's been yeah. 10 years. I agree. That would be automatic. So I don't right. know. It's, I don't it's, understand this. I don't well, understand it. It makes no sense to me, John. I don't and that's why they're and, doing. And look, I don't, I try not to place too much emphasis on this kind of stuff, because if you go back far enough, especially if you look at some of the guys that have been in it for a long time and you look at some of their contemporaries and and you can find dozens of guys who are not in the Hall of Fame from the same time period of guys who played during the 1930s, 40s, 50s, who should be in on Mm. the basis of statistics and things like that alone. But they're not because they didn't get national press or things like that. Um, I mean, you can you can play this out forever. And to me, what bothers me is that it just feels like the people who govern this stuff are really disconnected from the people who enjoy this stuff. If that makes sense. Um, they, they, yeah. they have their own idea about what constitutes a hall of Famer. I just think it's silly. So I don't know. Well, that's college of sports in a general though, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a microcosm of the problem so. that we deal with all the time. <laughs> I mean, it's a bit, it certainly makes a little bit of sense. Um, I, I would assume you know, to me, like if you're nominated, you're in. I don't know how, like, you could say, you know, not nah, not nah, Keith, you can't get in. I mean, basically, Doug Flutie's hail mary kept Keith Byers from winning the Heisman, right? Right. Which is so. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. I mean, Flutie's pretty. You know, we, the narrative of Flutie's a pretty good narrative, and and that plays an iconic play. So, look, you can't always win it. Ohio State's got their fair share. They've got a lot of they've got a lot of Heisman winners um, over their history. So, I mean, you you win some and you lose some on that front, but. I don't understand. Like if he was nominated, clearly it's like, okay, yeah, well, what's taking so long? He last yeah. played 30 years ago. <laughs> like what are we 30 some years ago? What are we talking about? What's taken so long? So I, I know that they've have to catch up. I get it. It's a new hall of fame in comparison to the others, but it seems like it would have almost been easier if they just would have said, okay, all these, like, for example, everybody who's dead is in, <laughs> like if you're already passed, just put them in and then, then catch up with these modern era guys right. or make it be like 30 or 20 or 30 years after you last played, because it doesn't make sense that some of these guys have been skipped and missed. I mean, Vince Young's on the ballot this year. Like he's for sure. First ballot. Like how's <laughs> of course, Vince Young would be a, is a college football hall of famer, but like, who are you going to leave off for him to get in? It's well, crazy. that's what I'm saying. Then they say, like, um, you can only accept- right. Yeah, I'm sorry. They say we can only accept so many people and we, you know, we don't want to have too many guys at once. And I think that's BS. Like just if, if you're trying to build this up, get everybody in who you want to have in and then start. That's right. Yeah. So that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. All right. Coming up a little bit later, we will do ask us anything coming up next, though. We'll be joined by Nick Baumgartner, Detroit Free Press. He was at the the, the meeting of the Giants, uh, Urban <laughs> and, and Harbaugh, and uh, it's getting a lot of attention uh, today and so we will he will join us next he was there he'll give us a first-hand account uh, we will do that uh, right after we remind you to visit the 11 words dry goods store for shirts hats stickers and more dry goods at 11warriors.com
All right, it's our pleasure to be joined by Nick Baumgart. does a great job at the Detroit Free Press covering the University of Michigan, college football in general, and we thank him for joining us. We're having, we, we love to have him on all the time. We had him on this time because for obvious reasons, I mean, this is the, uh, the what, recruiting pitch or whatever the hell it is that is sweeping the nation. Uh, this video of Urban Meyer speaking to um, prospective recruits or players. Can you just tell us what it is, what got you there, Nick? And then what did you see? What did you witness? Well, they do these camps, um, you know, they've, they've been doing these forever. Uh, they're a little different now because uh, of the satellite camp restrictions. But they used to do this where they'd have this big, massive camp in the state. It was an exempt camp. Coaches could come and coach and teach. And Urban started showing up, actually, like Brady Hoax, like second year. So he's done this before. Uh, and usually what it turns into is these head coaches, James Franklin's been there. I mean, all of these, Mark D'Antonio, they get up there in front of all the Detroit, you know, the people that, that matter in Detroit whether it's a player or coaches or handlers or what have you, and they give their, you know, they give their spiel. And they and Urban usually comes in and says, you know, we put a lot of people in the NFL. We won a national title. Uh, and this time, uh, you know, with Jim Harbaugh, <laughs> Jim Harbaugh was going to speak after. So he's standing off to the side, and Urban's message to, uh, was, uh, you know, you got to play play well in your rivalry games. That's one of the most important things you can possibly do. And, and that was it. So, I mean, those are not accidental messages. You know, Harbaugh then followed up with talking about how he, you know, his personal pitch is that he's an NFL, you know, he was an NFL player, he was successful as a player, and he, you know, that sort of thing. So it's always tailored to a certain coach. Um, probably depends on where you're at, but mm-hmm. for Urban, it was certainly, uh, there was not, it was not an accident, I don't think. I don't think that was that done, done accidentally. No, no, no. We've we uh, we've been around the herbs for a while. There's not sure. everything's calculated. He's like LeBron James. Everything is done for a reason. Everything's calculated. But I would say that this this takes a certain amount of stones. I mean, I know he has them, and he does have history on his side, and that he's dominated the rivalry. But to do it knowing that Harbaugh is just stage right, um, it looked to me in the video. I mean, were you at all? Was it ever uncomfortable? Was it ever kind of like, boy, this is interesting? No, it wasn't because it really wasn't it wasn't something that you realized was kind of happening until it was almost like over with. He started, you know, with his message about, you know, he's like at Ohio State we put, you know, X number of players in the NFL and this that and the other and then it just sort of morphed into this, you know, I want to know what you do in your rivalry games. I want to know on fourth down in your rivalry game if you're going to be there. What are you going to do? And then oh. you go back and you listen to it and you're like, "Oh my god, he's talking about fourth down in a rivalry game and and you know right. i've got my, my my phone up videotaping it and i look in the frame and i'm like oh harbaugh's standing right there i'm like this is a little weird it's always one of those things that kind of probably flew over the head of everybody when it was happening but when you stopped and thought about it for a second you're like wow that uh that was more interesting than maybe i thought it was do you think that like jim harbaugh like that impacts him at all or is that something that he doesn't even like notice as it's oh, going on i bet you he i bet you in his head he thought hey well played because i mean he would have done the exact <laughs> same thing if, if he had the opportunity to do it i mean if, if roles were reversed uh you know and, and harbaugh had, had you know some success there and, and some of those games went his way and they had some camp in in columbus and he was able to go up there and talk he would have said the same exact thing so i'll bet you in his mind it was nice job because that's i don't know how else you can do it other you, than you your cap and say you know hey good for you do you have any like insight into the relationship between those guys? Like, do they, I mean, are they friendly when they attend those types of things? Do they, do they communicate? Do they ever have like any kind of, you know, note sharing, things like that? No, none of that. Uh, you know, they, they don't uh, run in the same circle. I don't think they dislike each other uh, or anything. I think they respect one another, but I don't, they're not friends. Um, I don't, you know, Brady Hoke and, and Brady Hoke was friends with everybody. Uh, I think that's the easier way to describe it. Harbaugh is really not friends with, 
many people. Um, not that doesn't mean he won't be cordial with people. I think, and I think he really respects, I know he respects Urban Meyer a lot. I know he thinks he's one of the best coaches in the country, uh, of course. And, but, but that's as far as it probably goes. I don't think that they're pals. Um, he hasn't ever taken a direct shot at him, uh, like he has basically everybody else, but, uh, no, I think that, and I think Urban probably said the same thing that most of the time I you see these these guys at these events. I don't know if they talked. I don't think they talked Sunday. I don't think they they did. But that's not to say that that was on purpose. It was just one of those things. They're not exactly friends, but you know, Urban's close with Greg Madison and and is friends with him. So it's not like it'd be foreign. But I don't think they're I don't think they're pals. Gotcha. Lots of familiarity on that staff obviously with right. uh, Ed going over there McElroy. too. So, I mean, there's a lot of familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, obviously there's a, a tr- I, I know for a fact, like the tremendous amount of respect urban has for Jim. Um, I, I I'm curious on the bigger picture with Harbaugh because it, you know, I, I, I really thought that he would come in there and take the world by fire. I mean, I thought he would be recruiting five-star quarterbacks and, and big talented NFL style running backs, and he'd be running a different offense in urban and um, that, that he would come in like a house of fire and it hasn't happened. It's not just not beating Ohio state. Um, it's not enough success against Michigan state. They're paying him an awful lot of money. I know that they don't have like the, you know, he is their urban. I mean, right. They got mm-hmm. their guy. He's the guy they of all the guys they wanted. They got him. Um, but here we sit into this thing and, you know, he's got 18 starters back. He's got the transfer five-star quarterback in Patterson. Like, if he doesn't have the year this year, don't you wonder if it ever happens? Well, sure. And I think that a lot of it, you know, you can point to a lot of different reasons why it hasn't gone the way it people thought. But, I mean, if you go back to 2016, it was his second year. And at one point or another, he was like 20 and three. Uh, and it looked like they were they were rolling. And then, you know, they go play Ohio State and they lose by a yard. And that game right there, um, more than anything else, more than that punt drop thing against Michigan State, more than anything else, that game right there was the one that continues to stick in everybody's craw because if they'd won that game and they'd gone to the playoff with that roster with all those NFL picks on it, and that was a really good team, and they you know, they were the better team, mm-hmm. frankly. I think everyone can agree yeah. with that. They all played them for most of that game. Yeah. Um, if they'd mm-hmm. won that game and gone to the playoff and whatever happens, happens – I think people would have been able to stomach what was going to be a dip because they they had such a young team. I think people would have been able to stomach that a little bit better, but they didn't. And you add that to the fact that uh, you know that that abomination against Michigan State uh, at home. Add that to the to the fire, and that's why I think that's why it gets it's it's kind of you know expanded or, or blown up a little bit more. But you know they've certainly had missteps. It hasn't been easy. Um, and I think the biggest part of why it hasn't been easy is because the standard bearer that you're dealing with um, has been one of the most consistent programs in America for the past five or six years, and they're not going to stop and open the door for you. I think that that's the biggest the biggest problem facing – the biggest problem for Jim Harbaugh is Urban Meyer and Ohio State. It remains that way, <laughs> yeah. just like it's always been. I mean, until they can solve that – I mean, Michigan State is one of those things where you know, Michigan fans and everybody else, they hate losing that game. But, I mean, that's not the – that's not the wall you got to – you know, you got to kick down. I mean, it's you got to right. catch up with Ohio State somehow. And if you, if you can do that, then you can do all the things you want to do. But until then, you know, you're recruiting the same guys. They're getting them. You're not because they're winning and you're not. And that's that's it. Well, let's I want to talk about recruiting real quick, because that's, I mean, obviously a huge part of all of this. And the past several years, it's basically been Ohio State and Penn State top of the, the Big mm-hmm. Ten rankings. Michigan hasn't you know done terribly, but maybe not to the extent that a lot of people thought they would. What's the relationship like with Jim Harbaugh and especially like around, you know, in and around Detroit and some other places like Cast Tech and so on uh, between those schools and Jim Harbaugh? 
Well, 16 and 17, they had great classes, and that was, those were his first two full deals. And I think in 17, they got like nine of the top ten players in the state, and that was a good year uh, for the state of Michigan. You know, Peoples-Jones and all those guys, Liberty Hill um, the year before, all those guys um, that were highly contested you know, battles for with a lot of their different players. So the first two years, which is usually what happens with, with a new coach, is they capitalize on the momentum of – you know, this is all brand new. It's exciting, and, and we'll see what will happen. And, and they had two top ten classes, and they had I think one of them was top five. But, you know, you follow that up with an eight and five season, and, of course, that ain't going to fly, so it slips. And I think that – I think his relationship, for the most part, is fine. I think, um, you know, it's probably up and – it's probably one of those things that's an acquired taste for some because I think sometimes some people really, really like him, and some people he rubs the wrong way. I mean, that's just how he is. But really, with, for with him, it comes down to they got to win games. I mean, if they're gonna if they're gonna try to wade in the pool of of recruiting top talent, which they were able to do in this first two full classes. I mean, you get number one player in the country uh, the first year there, and then the second year. I mean, they got a couple five stars the second year, and those are those are good classes, good enough to compete on that stage. But you're not gonna keep pulling those in uh, if you go eight and five and lose to South Carolina in the Outback Bowl. I mean, that's just not gonna happen. And so that's that's the ultimate thing right there. I think the relationships are fine. There's a lot of coaches all over the country that like him a lot and still trust him quite a bit um, in terms of development, but if they're not winning, and especially offensive, I think a lot of players want to go there and play defense right now, but I'm not sure if a lot of them want to go there and play offense because they haven't proven they can do anything offensively. That's the one. I, that, I was going there anyway, so I'm glad you brought it up yeah. because that's, I mean, the defense has been great, and this was this is the other thing that I thought would happen right away is that he would come in and now they didn't do this I mean, if you think of how they played offense at at Stanford, it was it was not the most progressive approach. Even though they had Andrew Stinkin Luck, I mean, they yep. you know there were a lot of times they would do those crazy three running backs behind Luck, and they just try to pound out games. Even though they had you know this this prodigy quarterback, um, are you surprised that that he has put his teams in the posi- in the hands of the quarterbacks he's had to put his teams in the hands of? And and also the fact that that now Patterson basically has to fall in his lap because if Patterson doesn't fall into his lap, it, there's nobody there. I mean, I just look at Ohio State's quarterback situation. Ohio State doesn't put anybody in the pros at quarterback, right? Nobody. Yeah. Uh, not in their history. Nothing. I mean, there's just no NFL lineage at quarterback at Ohio State. And Ohio State had three quarterbacks, you know, last year, and all three of them would have started at Michigan, from my view, with 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 Barrett, right. Haskins, yeah. and and Burrow. Um, and why does Michigan not have, why is, are you surprised that he hasn't done better with that position? Um, you know, it's hard because yes and no, I think you, it's all about, you know, if you go back and you remember what it was when he took the job, the quarterback situation at the end of the Brady Hoker was a complete disaster. I mean, they had Shane Morris, yeah. uh, he had Shane Morris, an injured Wilton Spade, um, Alex Melzone, who is never going to be anything here or not that, any, that anybody thought anyway. And that was it. And so he had to go get Jake Rudock as a bridge year. They miss with John O'Corn, and that's one where if he, I bet you if they, if they go back and look, that didn't work. I think they got everything they could out of Wilton Spade, uh, but they miss with John O'Corn. I think that really hurt him. And then you go from there, and you can say Brandon Peters is a second-year player last year, and it's hard to judge an entire career on four games, and McCaffrey's never played. So in that sense, if you go down that list, I think that's one really bad miss. Um and not a lot to start with, you know, so it was one of those things where, uh, to me, it's still more about, uh, you know, barring last year, of course, was just a disaster because you, the guy you had in there that you thought was going to be decent transfer uh, didn't work out. But 
Um, the reason why a lot of that stuff worked at Stanford early on was because the offensive line was dominant, and their offensive line hasn't been dominant. And you can't keep a guy standing up straight. If you're going to play the way that they play, uh, you got to protect and give somebody a chance. Because, frankly, guys, I mean, Michigan's defense should be the best in the league. All the quarterback has to do is just not screw it up. I mean, just <laughs> stand up straight, yeah. you know, finish drives with kicks, don't turn the ball over, stand schedule, and get the hell out of the get, – get out of there, you know, go, you know, because that defense is loaded. So yeah. that's it. I think in simple terms – and that's enough. I think that's enough right there. If they play efficient football offensively with the defense they have, everything should be fine. I mean, they should be able to compete with anybody. So, well, then that's the question, though, right? Like, well, that's a big one, right? Yeah, right. But, but, but <laughs> what it, you know, compete with anybody? What does that mean? Does that mean eight wins, nine wins, ten? What, I mean, what what are the expectations? No, because you're right; they're going to have to beat Ohio State. Defense. Yeah, I mean, what you know? <laughs> well, like, you could be look- in the game, but whether or not you finish it, I mean, that's that's it right there. I mean, you got to have guy offensively. To me, their defense is good enough to keep them in any game they play. Right? I mean, that's I think everybody can agree with that. Uh, and offensively, if, if you're efficient, and that's the big if, because they don't have any linemen that have proven it. Uh, we don't know anything about whether or not Shea Patterson can do it in this offense. And frankly, Shea Patterson's only played, what, 10 games, I think, as a college player. So what's the expectation? I don't know. It probably depends on who you ask. I mean, they got a pretty brutal schedule. Uh, they got three on the road with at Notre Dame, at Michigan State, at Ohio. I th- I've been saying for a couple months, I think Michigan can be a super talented team that's really good that's 9-3 and three, uh, because you're playing three road games that are just – uh, not easy. Um, yeah. And you got Penn State and, and Wisconsin at home. So um, the, the, the the range of possibilities uh, is pretty wide, uh, I would say, for this team right now because, you know, they could get a couple of bounces and win 10 or 11, or they could get a couple of bounces and win seven or eight, you know. So I'm not real sure. Nick, this was great. Thank you for your time. We do appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, man. Yep, All right, Nick bet. Baumgartner, Detroit Free Press. Thanks, man. Yep, you bet. A reminder, don't forget to follow 11 Dubcast on Twitter. Rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We would appreciate it. It is the time of the show for Ask Us Anything, and so, sir, the floor is yours. Okay. Uh, you guys can ask us anything by sending us questions to uh, dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11 Dubcast on Twitter. I'm going to start off. We we kind of touched on this a little bit last week, and this is uh, going back a couple weeks. I had this one in my pocket. This is from Joey. He wants to know how far do you think do you think the uh in the basketball tournament this summer do you think the Ohio State guys have a chance to win the whole thing this time? Which Ohio State guys? Well, the, the <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair, fair, fair point. Well, touche. The big team? Touché. Yeah, the big yeah, team? The team. Yeah. Yeah, the A team can win it all. I mean, they've got everything that you need. I mean, I think they probably Diebler was banged up banged up in the game last year. Um, if Diebler's healthy, which I just talked to him, uh, yesterday, in fact, and he says he feels great. I think BJ Mullins is really going to help. Um, if Sully plays, I mean, they really don't have any holes. Like they should be a team, um, that can win the net can win it. I mean, they were a team that could have won a national title in, in the 2010s is at any of those teams were good enough to do it. So, um, yeah, they're definitely good enough to win it. I, I mean, I had a lot of fun watching that last i didn't think I, would. I didn't think i'd care about it at all last summer and i watched pretty much every game that i could and it was it was a lot of fun it was it was fun basketball so i think they're gonna be really great and i think if they don't end up at least making the final i'm gonna be a little sad so i think they've got a really good shot at, at winning that whole thing um this next one comes from nelson he wants to know so he just watched foul play uh the story about old, the old miss pay to play 
uh, system they had in place. Uh, I've he says I've always thought that that was common in the SEC and how they were very good at keeping it quiet. How common do you think it is in college football or in specifically the Big Ten? Um, it's getting harder now because of social media and everybody has a camera and um, everything can be traced. Uh, I think it was widespread across college football in the 80s, not to the extent of like SMU where they had like a legitimate like paper trail of a payroll, not like that. Um, right. But my guess is, is the college football players have been getting stuff on the side, $100 handshakes. I bet that's been going, that's been going on forever. As long as college football has been important, that's been going on. Um, I think it's very nice. This won't be popular, but I think it's very naive to think that it's only a Southern problem. Um, <laughs> that it, it's not, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big time college football problem. Um, it still goes on every everywhere to varying degrees. And, you know, it's just, it's just part of what it is. Like the, the thing about college football is, is like, look, we all love it. It's like a hot dog. You love it, but you don't want to know how it's made. That's how right. college football is. Well, so I 100% agree with that. I mean, that's that's everywhere. Like you can't the Big Ten, ACC, SEC, Mountain, whatever. It's it's it happens everywhere at all levels. It's not just you know like an, an FBS or situation. I mean, this is everywhere uh, because people want to exert influence over you know athletes. That that happens all the time at all levels in every sport. Uh, to think it that doesn't happen in the Big Ten, I think, is incredibly naive. And you know, it's not. To me, it's not like the end of the world necessarily. I, I don't, I no, think I don't really, and, and really, <laughs> here's the other thing about that though. This is what I think makes me a little, you know, irritated is the idea that like, when people talk about this, they pretend that it's some kind of like moral outrage, but the truth of the matter is that they're just afraid of their team getting pinched. Like that's it. And mm -hmm. there's no, like, I don't think that people have a real, like, I think some people do, but I think for the most part, people don't have a real moral problem with that kind of thing happening. I think they're just upset by not being able to go to a bowl game or having to vacate wins or something like that. So to me, it's a little disingenuous for people to, to really wring their hands about all this stuff, because frankly, it's, it, it should be happening above board, but because the NCAA doesn't want it to, it's not. And, and that's yeah. what I think is really kind of silly about it. So I don't know. It, it's definitely happening everywhere though. That is, that is certainly not a, uh, uh, I think an unusual thing. Um, so moving on, our next one here. This is from uh, Elijah. Elijah wants to know, this is this is kind of a random one here. Uh, what three people from all time would you most like to take a cross-country road trip with? <laughs> <laughs> you know, just um, go with the flow. We got, we got college football. We got the, we got the throw, uh, basketball tournament. Now we're going to yeah. talk about, you know, road trips of anybody in history. Well, I would, I, it's, I'll just right off the top of my head, the first two guys that jump because just because I really, I think they're both really funny. I mean, if it's a road trip, like I couldn't have like a, I do, I wouldn't want to talk to Abraham Lincoln for twenty five hours, right? <laughs> like I, I don't need to, I don't want to get into all that. Like I don't, I don't need that for like dinner. One thing, okay, fine, but like I don't, I, I don't know enough about him as a human being to to do that or George Washington or anything like that. So like for sure, the two guys that came into my mind are Jerry Seinfeld and uh, and Dave Letterman. Like their back and forth is hilarious to me. I think they're both interesting individuals. So I like them. So they would be the first two. And then if like, I would want a fun, observant, sarcastic, smart ass ride. 
So then I would probably throw in like Julia Louis-Dreyfus for like just a female touch and because she's hilarious and I think she would give as good as she got. So I guess that would be it with just off the top of my head of like, how am I going to enjoy 30 hours? I think that would be for me would be a good way to enjoy 30 hours. I think it'd be fun as hell. I love Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I think she's one of the the funniest. Like She's brilliant. Actors. Yeah, period. Like she's just great in everything she's ever done. Um, I I was going to say Hunter S. Thompson, but I think if you're going to be in a car with Hunter wow. S. Thompson for 30 hours. You wouldn't like, make it. I wouldn't make it. I'd die. I'd be dead person like within 10 <laughs> minutes like that. That sounds good in theory, but in practice, it's probably absolutely not something that I would want to do. Um, on the other hand, I think David Letterman is a great choice, but I would say probably Mark Twain uh, is a guy that I want to throw okay. in there. Just dropping bombs on everybody that he saw. I think that would be pretty good. Um, I could probably swing Abraham Lincoln. I think I could talk to Abraham Lincoln. If I had 30 hours, I would definitely... Yeah, I would want to spend 30 hours talking to Abraham Lincoln, especially with Mark Twain in the car. I think that would be pretty legit. I think that would be a good okay. uh, a good one-two punch. But then I'd really want to mix it up for the third person. So I don't, I mean, maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe Tyvis Powell just for, you know, for flavor's sake. Like, just get somebody, <laughs> just somebody in there who I know is going <laughs> to just say entertaining. insane stuff. You know, Dave Chappelle, just somebody crazy that I can just like, you know, goof around with. I think that would be good. Just Just a wild card um i think would be fun uh so there you go that's those are the three uh and the last one here this is this is good uh this is from our good friend alvin he wants to know what's the best pet dog for someone who did not grow up with a dog black lab yeah yeah that's man. it that, yeah they're the best that's dogs ever say. the answer for any question is if it, what dog should i get it's always a lab like get a lab like what are you talking my about bra- my buddy tim may i was trying to talk my wife into a uh what the hell was that? Maybe a boxer or something like that. Yeah. And Tim May and just classic Tim May way he goes, buddy, you get yourself a black lab and just forget about it. <laughs> and I thought that's it. I mean, and it is the answer. Like they're the best for everything. They're great yep. with kids. They're great with families. They're just great. You're just not going to do anything worse than getting a black lab. Yeah. All you got to do is just make sure you don't overfeed them. But other than that, they're the easiest dog to ever, you know, take care of. Now I would say that you go find a rescue black lab i'm I'm all about the rescue sure. dogs but but yeah that's that's yeah. a no-brainer i would definitely say get a black like a lot of people i don't know they want to have that dog for themselves and like i see a lot of people get like dalmatians dalmatians go deaf all the time don't get a freaking dalmatian just get a lab be done with it so yeah black lab easy yeah. easy all right so that's ask us anything please continue sending those in and uh we'll continue answering them All right. Good stuff. Good stuff out of Nick. Congratulations to the Hall of Famers. And you and I will visit again next week. Good stuff, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. Talk to you next week.